With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, Mackie and Jeff with Rhyme listeners. We're asking you to help us improve the listener experience of this show, whether it's segments, advertisements you hear, you name it, by going to scorenorth.com, keyword MJR, and filling out a quick survey. You can help make the show better. Please help us cater this show and the ads to what you want. Scorenorth.com, keyword MJR. And if you fill it out, Judd will give you an awkward bro hug next time he sees you, I promise. You're wearing Bear's nipple tassel. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. Second down and two. Little flip here to Jones. Gets a block. And Jones out in front. They're trying to chase him down. He's inside the 10 and Jones down the sideline. He is in for the touchdown. Oh, they have problems in the secondary. They've got it screwed up. They're going to have a defensive end out there. Third and one. Rodgers under pressure again and just has to flip it. And it is going to be caught by Williams for the touchdown. Rodgers scrambling, running for his life. Throws it up in the air and Williams comes down with it. Yeah, Packers win last night. He was throwing that away. Bears did not win. Are you we all so? in agreement he was throwing that away? I don't know. No, it's not. It's, it was a gray area. I think it he was, was throwing. Area. I think he was throwing. Did anyone ask him after there the game? There wasn't enough power on it to be thrown. Be yeah, because he was being dragged to the ground. I don't know. So here's my theory on it, all right? By the way, Mackie and Judd with Rami. Judd is staycationing today. We wish is that where well. he is? Hopefully Good. he's drinking claws. He's not. That would get me a write-that-down point. It's against every fiber of his being, and he's not. We'll see. Sometimes when you're alone, thinking about a claw, a little mango (laughs) claw on a Monday, you never know what happens. I think Rodgers was putting it, I think he was thinking, I'm going to throw this mostly away, but I got a guy. I got a guy in the area. Do I think he was pinpoint precisely trying to put that ball inbounds where a receiver could catch it? Probably not, but like... When you're that good, people give you the when you're when you're good enough for it to maybe be I don't intentional. Want to believe it. That's amazing. I don't want to believe it, so I'm not going to believe it. That's how I live my life. All right. Yeah, it's fair. Exactly. Well, uh, there's some. There's. I think. I think there's a big discussion to be had here. Speaking of the way you live your life, because you are still <laughs> you are still wearing a Bears cap today. It's the black one, though. I'm in mourning. <laughs> you. That's, it's a very nice sharp <laughs> Thank black you. hat. Yes. Thank you. I think we should spend the first segment here before we get to Gerson Rosas. President of Basketball Operations for the 3-0 and league-leading Minnesota Timberwolves in about 15 minutes from now. A state of the NFC North Are we North planning the parade conversation. Is that why he's joining that's us? A, that's okay. exactly why All he's right. on today. Good. Is it going to be uh, St. Paul to Minneapolis, just downtown? We'll have to, we'll have to check it out. 
Bring it to Uptown so I don't have to go far. Uptown I can, area? I can see it from my apartment. Okay. That'd be good. So, are your Bears... They're done. I think they're out. They're done. I think it's over. It's I, think, over. I think it's a two-team race. Vikings they're and out Packers of the wild the card. They're out of the playoffs. The Bears are done. Season's over. Yeah, right now they're in last place in the NFC North. And record-wise, there's about eight or nine teams ahead of them. Just record-wise, not even... Like, if you go eye test-wise, I might even put... A couple teams ahead of the Bears right now that are below them record-wise. Yeah. They look that bad. I'm not arguing with you. You'll get no fight here. So You're what, right. What is... Tell tell Vikings fans, like, can they just write the Bears off? Yeah. Bears are done. Wow. Now, the Vikings have trouble with the Bears in head-to-head. There just seems to be something about that matchup. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, so... I wouldn't count them dead when you see them in, in I don't know how many weeks. I don't know when they face each other again. But as far as the playoff picture and being a contender in the NFC North, yeah, they're done. Make yeah. a make a rug out of them. Bears yeah. are dead. This, by the way, was Matt Nagy yesterday when asked, this okay, dude. why would you, uh, you know, with the game on the line, you're looking to kick a game-winning field goal. But I don't know if a coach know. of the year of my favorite team has ever lost me so fast as this guy. So this is uh, Brad Childress's protege here. Matt Nagy explaining, why did you just like take a knee? Why wouldn't you try to get more yards and make the field goal easier? You walked through your thought process on taking the knee before the last Yeah, game. I mean, that's, I'm not even going to get into that. That's, I have zero thought of, of uh, running the ball and ha- taking an op- the chance of fumbling the football. Or, you know, they know you're running the football, so you lose three, four yards. So that's, uh, that wasn't even in, the, in our process as coaches you, to you think lost about two that. Yards. Um, you know, we, we, we were in field goal range before the scramble. And then we got the scramble, so that's that's that didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> he didn't want to lose two or three yards, so he ran a kneel play where he lost two yards. No thought of throwing it there either. Throw the football. Throw the football. Just to try to get a little closer. Um, <laughs> throw the football right then and there. What happens if you take a sack or there's a fumble? Lose the game. That's right. Yeah, exactly. No, no, there was zero thought of that. That's the. I'll just be brutally clear. Zero thought of throwing the football. Zero thought of running the football. You understand me? That's exactly what it was. So it's as simple as that. Could you explain to him why not running the ball? I mean, what, what, what was... Did I just say that? Yeah. You, yeah I just, what did I say? The reasons. What was it? Fumble. And when they know you're running the football, you lose three or four yards. So that, that was and that. Just, to, just to be crystal clear on my end, there's zero thought that the Bears are relevant anymore in the NFC. After that, yesterday they're done. Yeah. I mean, they're finished. How does that? How do you? The players of that team feel after hearing their coach say, "Yeah, no matter what we did, we we're going to lose yards because I don't trust my players." Essentially, well, what, he said, what kind he of said, message is that? He said the defense knew we were going to run the ball, Jonathan, <laughs> and so you're going to lose two or three. They yards. They always know you're going to run or pass the ball, right? So you always losing three or four yards. Do you not trust you who know. your offense? And by the way, are? the reason you kept losing yards and not moving forward in the red zone and in crucial situations in that game was because your play calling sucked. That that's the only that's the thing at the top of the list of things you shouldn't have confidence in, Matt Nagy, and yeah, why you. Did. A... That's what I would have said if I was him. I would have said, yeah, I didn't go for it there because, uh, quite honestly, my play calling sucked all day, and I didn't have faith in myself to get another couple of yards there. You know, as enjoyable as this is for Vikings fans right now to watch uh, what was maybe the favorite for the division by a lot of people going into the season crumble before our eyes and people questioning the coach, it was just, just it's too bad there's not a forum where like we can celebrate <laughs> Bears fans complaining and watching their season go down the toilet. You know, it's just too bad there's not... Again, hmm. I don't know why I work with you. Oh, oh yeah, it's a Bears vet line. I'm Mackie and Joe with Ron. <laughs> And we have a coach 
by the name of Nagy, who does not understand the game at this level. How is it possible that you could be on a six-yard line, goal to goal, and not one time, not one time, do you throw to somebody or try to score a touchdown to somebody in the end zone? How is that possible? You come back again, what, on a four-yard line, and you don't even attempt to get into the end zone? you got to be kidding me. This guy's an imbecile. Preach, OB. Preach, my man. All highlights from Bears Ventliner, courtesy of WGN and The Score in Chicago. He's right. He's right. He's 100% right. I don't know what the dude was thinking in that game yesterday. So you know what? Real quick, before we uh, rub more salt in your wound, Rami Maclaw. Yes. Here's what's frustrating on the Viking side of things, okay? How in the hell did you get beat like that against this team? I get that it's Chicago and it's a road game. Oh, and they I haven't can figured that. out their offensive scheme yet. Um, because Kirk Cousins still craps his pants and pressure and Khalil Mack. That's how. Yeah. That's well, it. The answer is really that simple. And we're going to find out more starting this week with Kansas City and then Dallas. And there's plenty of opportunities to check some of those boxes. But that's about the only thing that would frustrate me right now, looking at this from a Vikings perspective. You're six and two, you're halfway through the season. Uh, you got the best point differential. Uh, second best behind San Francisco in the entire NFC. And yet that Bears game just sits there. Like the Bears have looked so bad in almost every one of their other games. And that game against the Vikings, and maybe part of it was because they had the better quarterback playing for the majority of that game. I mean, you know, Mitch Trubisky's probably not the best quarterback. That might have been. No, I think he is. I do think he is. Whatever that says about the organization, I still think Mitchell Trubisky is the best quarterback. Guys, listen, this is on Pace's head. The guy can't draft a quarterback. He can't draft anybody. And why? Why Why is this happening, guys? I don't want to see Chase Daniel in. I want Trubisky in there to fail. Because if he even has an opportunity, you guys, this organization, from the top on down, will find a way to sign him to a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. And we're going to be stuck with him, Nagy, and Pace for two or three more years, God forbid. I knew it too. I knew before they went for the field goal. I knew it. I even tweeted out. I tweeted out the uh, gif of Michael Scott saying, "All I can do now is put out a brave face." Is this not cathartic for you to hear other Bears fans upset as as upset as you are? I mean, I know I love it. I, on some level, I do love it. It is cathartic, and I would tune into this every Sunday when I lived in the Chicago area. Well, especially after a loss. I, this guy, I've got it up to my eyebrows with this Maggie and the other kid <laughs> who we that? got, Herky Jerky, by the way, and that's the name of the quarterback. Herky Just jerky. watch him play football, folks. He is not a starting quarterback, never has, and he never will be. I am so aggravated that a team could come in like this and take a victory away from us because of a stupid, gutless coach. Are, are you referring mostly to... Maggie! <laughs> right, did I say it loud enough? Maggie! Did I say it loud enough? <laughs> that 
was amazing. He didn't think he was talking about. I'll tell you something, Nagy. If you don't, if you don't loosen up, oh boy. and if you don't start playing, oh boy, big time football. I hope the fans in this town run you out. I mean, I'm done with you. You're he coach. should fire himself. You are he not should a fire head coach. himself. You. Yeah, he should fire himself, OB. Be a man! Fire yourself! Oh my god! Be a man, what fire just, yourself! What just happened? Oh my god! <laughs> That guy literally startled me. (laughs) Like somebody coming out from around the corner. It really does sound like someone just burst into the studio and just started yelling. Let's do that one again. Oh my god. Let's do that again. Here it is. Here it is. Bears vet line. Peak Bears vet line. I'll tell you something. <laughs> Nagy, if you don't if you don't loosen up and if you don't start playing big time football, I hope the fans in this town run you out. To me, I'm done with you. You're he head should coach. fire himself. You are he not should fire coach. himself. <laughs> yeah, he should fire himself, OB. Be a man! Fire yourself! <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I think that's Steve McMichael. Mondo? Yeah, I think so. The guy who was a professional wrestler in the late nineties. Yeah. That is amazing. I think so. He was like part of the Four Horsemen at the end. Of the night. It's like him and Ric Flair. Woo! Oh man, Ric Flair's over there wooing, and this guy's over there. Fire yourself! Oh man. Man, so uh, you're a Vikings fan today, and you're uh, oh. looking for looking for something to do. Can you, Jonathan, can you send out? that to me in an MP3? I need yes. that on my phone, just on call at all times. You just want to fire yourself as a ringtone. <laughs> just oh, every time you get a text, uh, fire yourself. That's Dan Hampton. <laughs> I, I, had, I had the wrong legendary Bears '80s lineman. That was Dan no, Hampton. We have a, looks like we have a clip from Dan Hampton on here as well. <laughs> When the stumble bombs almost blew a chance to get a crip shot field goal because they don't have any idea what they're doing when they get in the red zone. They're so incompetent. But all that being said, we had a chance to be able to win this game until the bumbler, Trubisky. And think about this. Baseball, you got closers that come in. We need a closer as a quarterback, and that could be Chase Daniel. Somebody's got to keep this idiot from costing us football games. <laughs> he should fire himself. Richard Trubisky should be a man and fire himself. Is he really so saying good. that Chase Daniels should come in as soon as they get in the red zone? Like, no, 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 Trubisky, I'm not, I'm not holding. I, these, those are both dudes that I love, both as, as former Bears and as radio personalities. <laughs> love both those guys. And I'm not holding them accountable for anything that they said yesterday. <laughs> 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 this wasn't their write-that-down session? No. No. Oh, that was all That was all just pure emotion and fire. And we all we all say things we regret in the heat of the moment. Man, I think I, I think I 
like Bears vent line better than Packers vent line right now. I think Bears vent line has passed oh, man. Packers vent line. So, uh, all right, well, uh, we've got more where that came from, too. We're going to keep pouring sea salt in Rami's wound throughout the next uh, couple of hours. When we come back here, Timberwolves president of basketball operations, Gerson Rosas, will join a 3-0 and start for the Timberwolves. My guy... My guy. Your guy. Andrew Wiggins. Wiggy. Throwing daggers in the fourth quarter last night. Yeah, buddy. That's right. Not 20-foot daggers. 23-foot daggers. That's right. Gets you an extra point. And this mid-range crap. Yeah, they explained that to him in the offseason. Said, hey, if you take one step back, that's an extra point. And he's trying. Math. He's trying. So we'll talk to Gerson Rosas. Tom Pelissero's NFL Insights later on in the show. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. Minus Judd today on the all-new Score North and the Score North app. Powered in part by Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Uh, Federated, a very charitable organization, too. Federated, you know, we're going to talk some number 13 in the country gopher football later on in the show. And the Gophers, whenever they force a turnover, the Gophers defense, Federated donates $1,000 to Big Brothers, Big Sisters. They are very philanthropic in that way, and uh, they've been raising millions of dollars for great causes throughout the years. So Federated takes that same spirit of giving and generosity, and they apply it to your company, you're a business owner out there, you want that peace of mind of knowing that if something happens, if, you know, I don't know, you take a sack in the end zone, if I could use a sports metaphor, uh, if something happens, you want to make sure that someone with experience has your back. You have a face-to-face relationship with your insurance company. Well, Federated is a Minnesota-based company going back to the early 1900s, and they have over a century of experience in helping businesses in many different ways. Federatedinsurance.com to find out more. And remember, Federated, it's our business to protect yours. I'll tell you something, Nagy. If you don't, if you don't loosen up, and if you don't start playing big time football, I hope the fans in this town run you out. To me, I'm done with you. You're a head he should coach. fire himself. You are he not should a fire head coach. himself. Yeah. yeah, he should fire himself. Ob, be a man. Fire yourself. Oh, oh God. God, that's so good, dude. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Oh, it's so much fun, the laughing at the expense of oh, other man. teams in the NFC North. So the Packers win last night. They're 7-1. and one. They're tied for uh, the second-best record in the NFC with the Saints. The Niners are still undefeated at 7-0. and oh. And then you got uh, Seahawks at 6-2, and two, Vikings at 6-2. and two. And honestly, all five of those teams that I just mentioned, I think, I think those are five playoff teams for sure, barring some sort of meltdown by uh, any number of them. And then... Unless there's another, like the Rams could still make a run at five and three. They're only a game back of the Vikings and the Seahawks. So I guess I should lump them in, in terms of being able to make the wild card. But I think it's, it's one team out of the NFC East. It'll be like a nine and seven team. But I think everyone other than the NFC East winner has a chance to get to the Super Bowl. Is that a hot take? Packers, Vikings, Saints. I'm not, I'm not saying in order, but Packers, Vikings, Saints, Niners. With that defense, man, they've allowed 77 points all year in yeah, seven games. Yeah, that defense is legit. And Seahawks. And I don't think like, the Rams need to show a couple more things before I put them back in that mix. But I honestly think that there are five teams in the NFC that if any of those five teams made it to the I Super Bowl the right Cowboys now. I Cowboys out. See, I kind of would. I don't know. That defense is good. And when, that, when the offense is clicking, because you don't have to be the best team in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl. You just have to be clicking at the right time. And they're going to get to the playoffs. If Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott are clicking and, and the defense is playing at the highest level that it can play at, I wouldn't put it past the Cowboys to make a run to the Super Bowl. Okay, 
I won't fight you to the death on that, but I just I that that organization always it, it feels like they're always on the verge of firing everybody. Yes. And I just think it's really hard to perform at your peak level all the way through the season. And especially when the pressure starts to mount even more. That's the thing about Jerry Jones. For twenty years, he thinks he's helping by speaking to the media and putting himself out there. It's like, no man, you're you're making it harder for people to operate. Your quarterback, your coach at the level that they need to to win a Super Bowl. I also, you know, in terms of quarterback, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback. Drew Brees is a better quarterback. Uh, Russell Wilson's a better quarterback. Um, Dak and Kirk Cousins, probably in that same tier, and it just depends on the week, very different quarterbacks. I'd put the Cowboys below those teams who you mentioned, but I still sure. give them a legit chance to get there. So the NFC is so wide open, and then obviously the Patriots are just standing alone at the top of, of the AFC, but... I think this is going to be so much fun the next couple Patriots months. Patriots defense. Now, I was bleary-eyed and had just woken up when I saw this on SportsCenter this morning. Have they scored more touchdowns than they've given up the Patriots defense? I believe so. I think that's what they said on SportsCenter yeah. this morning. I believe that's I That's insanity. Yeah, if you take away all the points that they've scored on offense, they'd still have a plus point differential. Because they scored another touchdown yesterday. Yeah. I mean, that was literally handed to them. But yeah, <laughs> scored a touchdown. Yeah. Another one. So, it's pretty amazing. Right, okay, right now... Where would you rank the Vikings in that mix in the NFC? Give them to me again. Let me do this in my head. So in no particular order, yes. I'll put your Cowboys in there. So mm-hmm. Cowboys, I mean they're not Packers, Cowboys. Cowboys, Packers, Saints, Niners, Seahawks, Rams, Vikings, Packers, Seahawks, and or excuse me, Packers, Niners, and Saints definitely ahead of the Vikings. And then I think it's clustered. And the Vikings have, I would agree with that, and the Vikings have a chance to prove otherwise starting this yes. week. If they start to beat teams like Kansas City on the road, Dallas on the road, okay, it'll all... So before people bust out pitchforks and stuff, like, well, you guys know, I mean, the Vikings will will show us starting this week whether they belong at the top of the NFC or somewhere slotted below. And the Niners, I think everyone's kind of waiting for the Niners while... The other shoe's got to drop there, right? I mean, still not... trying to figure out what that is exactly, how real it is. I mean, that defense—you don't allow seventy-seven. I don't care who you're playing; you're going to play a couple stinker teams in there, but you don't go halfway through the season allowing seventy-seven points if your defense isn't. I mean, look at the plays that Bosa was making yesterday. Yeah, Forty-nine er schedule gets incredibly difficult from here on out. Have you guys looked at it? Do you have it's, it in front of you? Yeah, it's not easy. So they have. Next up is the Cardinals, so that's an easy one, whatever. Seahawks, Cardinals, Packers, Ravens, Saints, Falcons, Rams, Oof. Seahawks again. That was destiny calling for the Niners Oof. right there. Actually, it's just Gerson Rosa. Uh, Gerson Rosa is probably calling. <laughs> Good God, that is tough. Yeah. You know, speaking of schedules, real quick, while he lines up Gerson Rosa, today on uh, Score North Live, we were talking about the Bills. Don't ask why. We were talking about the Bills, and Co- they're 5-2, and two, and Collar read off their next four opponents to me. They're about the Bills are about to be nine and two without yeah. beating one good football team. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, the AFC is like that. Even the Browns. The Browns are two and five right now, and everyone's out on the Browns. Well, I just told Jonathan and, and Kyle, the Browns might still finish with eight or nine wins. They get the Bengals twice. They get the Dolphins. They get the Ben Roethlisberger list Steelers twice. Um, there's another weak opponent in there somewhere. So like like the Browns, everyone's just out on the Browns, but the AFC is so bad the teams can make a run. So, anyways, uh, this happened last night. Wiggins. Tough, tough take and make by Andrew. Wiggins, three. Wolves take the lead for the first time this half. That's that's a couple of big threes for Andrew. Wiggins wide open, looking for another, and he'll get another. Wiggins feeling it. Oh, my goodness, Andrew Wiggins. 
Look at everybody storming the court. All right, last night. Wolves moved to 3-0, and which is uh, tops in the NBA, obviously. And they also have moved into the top five in a couple national power rankings. All right, so it's been a really good first week for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I saw a CBS one that had them like third in the power rankings or something. Power but, rankings are about how you're playing right now. And the Wolves are playing really well right really now. Really good basketball. Mackie and Judd with Rami minus Judd today. Gerson Rosas, president of basketball operations. Have they peeled you off the ceiling after the fourth Andrew Wiggins <laughs> three last night? <laughs> Hey, I appreciate being on with you guys. And now we're, it's great when you can have success doing, uh, doing the things we believe in. And, uh, last night, late last night was a good example of that. We've had a good week. We still haven't played a complete game, but we've played well enough at stretches and competed hard enough to get three wins in a row. So we feel good about that. You don't strike me as a have to peel you off the ceiling type of guy. You're pretty even keeled, level headed. What, what's like, what's Max Garrison Rosas excitement? Well, let's put let's throw him back on hold there just to make sure the the I, that's a great question and I want to get the answer there. I was wonder like really level headed measured dudes like that when they get really excited what what's the farthest that they go like what's the craziest he's ever gotten at a party yes like has he ever been tied tied around his forehead guy. <laughs> <laughs> Like top three buttons on the shirt open. Has, has Garrison Rosas ever been that guy? Is what I want to know. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think. I think if you're in his position, obviously you're in this for the long haul. Two, three year. You, you're 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 waiting to add a second superstar to the mix. And by the way, he's going to grab a better connection and call us back here in a second. Um, and I don't think the first three games really matter all that much in the grand scheme. But it's got to feel pretty validating to put in all the work. Setting up your systems, even teaching new things to players who've been in the league for a long time, and then come out of the gate like that, right? There's, it's got to be pretty gratifying. And the process of getting them to buy in. That's what we talked about that with the Twins at the start of the season. They were doing a lot of things different. It was how do you get a roster of guys to buy in? Garrison, we got you back. Sorry about that, guys. We had a bad connection there. So what's what's the most excited Garrison Rosas gets? Like, what's the wildest you ever got at a party? <laughs> ever lampshade on the head, dude? <laughs> You know what? I, I am pretty uh, even keel, and I, I've been fortunate to be around this league a long time. So you're in different situations, but you know, for us, it's day to day. It's building the identity and uh, growing something uh, that we're we're doing here that's a little bit different than what's been here in the past. So um, I'm, I'm happy for our players. I'm happy for our staff. There's been a lot of work that's gone into this season, and anytime you can see positive results early on, really fuels that mission. So I wrote down three words last night when watching that game play out, and and I don't I'm not going to put you in a spot to compare to what it was like before you got here because you weren't here and that's not fair. But the three words I wrote down that we haven't seen all three of them in the mix for a while are joy, energy, and efficiency. Watching that thing last night and just watching the first three games, joy, energy, efficiency are those are those three fair words? Absolutely, and I, I appreciate you mentioning that because I mean one thing that we want our fans and. And anybody that watches us to see that we play hard, that we play smart, and that we play fast. And I think energy is a byproduct of that. And just our competitive fervor, you know, our guys that are on the floor, um, our guys don't like to lose. And, we, you know, we haven't played complete games yet, but we find stretches where we can fight and claw and get our way back into games. Guys don't quit. Guys don't don't get nervous. They just lock in and you know, Wiggins was a perfect example of that last night. You know, we played a tough team in Miami. It just had a big win against Milwaukee, and to be fair to them, they were coming off a of back-to-back. But 
you know, they were they play hard and they compete and not to back down to protect the home court and to get a win on opening night at home. It's important and it's something that's meaningful for this program. You know, after after the first game, I was on Twitter, Garrison, and I saw a lot of a lot of frustration with Andrew Wiggins and the way that he played in that game. I thought a lot of that was overblown. And just in general, I'm trying to stop myself from doing that and give the guy a chance in the new system and the new way of doing things that you guys are are trying to instill. And as big as what he did on the court last night, I loved what he said after the game, which was basically admit, yeah, I made some dumb mistakes. And I'm glad Ryan Saunders held me accountable. I want him to hold me accountable while I try and learn these new things that they're trying to teach me. That's buy-in, and that's really all that you're looking for from Andrew Wiggins and the rest of the guys on that roster. But I think a guy with the expectations that he came in with, if he's trying to buy in, I think that sets an example for the rest of the roster. No, that's definitely point on. I mean, for, for us, it's it's an education. And, you know, or very early on, uh, you know, we're only about maybe – a quarter to 30% of where we're at offensively or defensively where we're going to be. And to be fair to the players uh, and to this team, like it takes time, you know, the understanding of what we're doing, personalizing it, creating chemistry. Um, the only way you do that is by getting repetitions, playing games, and being in those situations over and over, and to have success. And to have the success that, um, you know, Wiggins had last night in those situations, taking the right shot, you know, he was similar late in the Brooklyn game where he was driving to the basket and getting good shots. He's seeing that the things that we value are going to benefit not only him, but us as a team. And it's a message that you mentioned, but I think it's good for all our fans. Everybody wants to turn this thing around overnight, and that's not how it happens. You know, we want to build a sustainable program that over time is going to have success at the highest levels, and that takes time and effort. Uh, and it takes a lot of commitment and a lot of sacrifice, and that's what we're going through now. Mackie and Jeb with Rami here on Score North and the Score North app. By the way, you can hear three days a week, Raised by Wolves, uh, one of the best podcasts you're going to find on the Timberwolves on the Score North app and scorenorth.com, hosted by Danny Cunningham. So Carl Anthony Towns was named Player of the Week in the NBA, over 30 points a game, bunch of rebounds, bunch of block steals, and uh, defensively with the eye test, just looks like he's he's doing a good job. What Can, can you tell us and tell our audience... Aside from just the fact that he's shooting 12 threes and making a bunch of threes because he's uh, ridiculous like that, what has led to the great start for Carl Anthony Towns? Uh, well, number one, he believes in what we're doing, and um, he's taken steps as a leader, and our players are supporting him. I think we've built a roster that complements him well, um, but we play through him offensively and defensively, and I think he's embracing that. Offensively, our ability to impact teams at a high level where – you know, depending on how they're going to try to guard us, we have a strong adjustment for that. Uh, really make, gives us the opportunity to have a high-level offense. And then defensively, uh, as a group, being more committed and him being our anchor uh, near the basket, uh, that approach is something that he's taken personal. And his efforts have been there. He's been consistent. He's been focused. And he's been committed to what we're doing. And when you have your best player doing those type of things, we're fortunate to have a group of guys around him that believe in him and believe in our mission and are working hard and, and playing hard every opportunity we get. So you uh, you grew up watching sort of the Showtime Lakers, early 90s, mid-90s basketball, right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So I'm, I'm so fascinated. We pulled some numbers just from, from your first game. You guys shot like 42 three-pointers. 
And uh, we went back and even looked in the mid to late 80s, and there were teams like the Pistons in 1987 only made 35 threes in the whole season because they just didn't shoot. I mean, like, what would if you could if you could sit down and explain in the late 80s and the 90s to guys like uh, Bill Lambeer and Patrick Ewing, hey, there's going to be seven footers who are literally parked outside the three point line, and they're going to shoot 12 threes a night. What what do you think they would have said? They would lose their mind. I mean, I know a, 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 a guy native to Minnesota, Kevin McHale, still loses his mind, and we were doing it in Houston, and it was hard for him to uh, visualize where this was going. But the game is different. It's a, a very strong skill-based game. The floor is different. The ability to open up the game. Uh, and for us, you know, just to be able to impact at a level where a defense has to plan for us and know that they have to guard Carl Anthony – inside and out, and then they have to defend 40 to 53s from us. That puts a lot of pressure on them. And when you add in that our philosophy is to be aggressive as an offensive rebounding team, there's a correlation there that's very strong to allow us to be the best offense we can be. You talked about Kevin McHale needing to sort of try and buy into this system in Houston. How much did Ryan Saunders need to buy into this, or was this kind of what he wanted to do all along and you guys just reinforced it when you got here? So there's there's strong alignment in that partnership, and the way I look at the game and the way he looks at the game is very similar. I think he, I mean, you guys saw over the last forty games that he wanted to play a different way, and my my experience uh, being in Houston and doing what we did there over the last ten years offensively, uh, we've really challenged each other. I think it's how do we maximize our players? How do we change the narrative of what? Minnesota Timberwolves basketball is all about, and how do we create a competitive advantage? So everything from playing fast, from spacing, from shot selection, from offensive rebounding, it's been a lot of fun to work together through that and get on board not only for our staff but our players to do something different and create an identity that gives us a chance to compete because we just can't play the the basic game that everybody plays. We don't have that talent. Our talent is different. Our system is different. Our skill level is different. And we've got to make the most of the resources we have. When is it okay to shoot a long two or or to shoot something other than a three-pointer or something from inside three to five feet? Uh, you know, a lot of it is, is our goal is not to tell players do this or don't do that. Our goal is just to put guys in the most competitive, productive situations that they can be. You know, if you're a guy like Kevin Durant where it doesn't matter, uh, what, where you shoot, you're going to shoot at a high level and from and a good percentage. You can shoot wherever. But historically, NBA players, those are bad shots for them primarily. And then secondarily, they're not good areas to get offensive rebounds. So if you want to create possessions, if you want to create volatility in terms of your offense, those shots help you uh, strategically and efficiently. I don't expect you to put a number on it when I ask you this question, Garrison, but do you guys have... Do you have a goal in the building of how many wins or where you would like this team to get to this year? Or is it just sort of still a learning process and finding out where this team is at and what you need to add to it moving forward? Yeah, it's definitely uh, an evaluation and a development process. I think as we look back on this season, if we haven't established an identity offensively, established an identity defensively, identified our core players moving forward and developed the players that we have here, we failed. Um, but I'm, I'm a strong believer if we do those things I've just laid out, we're going to be in a very strong position uh, to not only have a winning season, but maybe have success and put ourselves in contention for, for something valuable down the road. 
I mean, I'm on the record. You don't have to answer this, but you, sh- you, you. I mean, you're welcome to nod your head. I am on the record before the season saying you guys are going to win more games than the Warriors, so no pressure. And they've only they've only allowed about seven thousand points defensively. So I'm, I'm putting that on you. No pressure. Hey, it's, it's been a week. <laughs> We've had a good week. Let's. Let's continue to see how this season plays out. That's uh, Gerson Rosas. He is the president of basketball operations for the 3-0 Minnesota Timberwolves. Thank you for joining, and we'll talk again soon, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you very much. Mackie and Judd uh, with Rami here. Yeah, we had him on at the State Fair, too, for a little. That was his first three hours ever at the State Fair, and we put him through some sort of a challenge, the uh, State Fair Fair quiz. quiz challenge. How well do you know the State Fair? Did he win? Who won that? I think he won. No, Ryan Saunders won. Oh, Did that's he? right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, Ryan Saunders swooped in and got uh, three or four correct Which at the very end. makes sense. Yeah, I mean. Native Minnesotan. Lived here for 32 years or whatever. Probably spent years. a few thousand hours at the State Fair over the course of his life. He should, yeah, he should win. Yeah. He should have been the favorite. Going Especially in. the tons of poop question. Like, Right. You should that know that if amazing. you're from Minnesota. That was insane. How many tons was it? it two was million tons? 2,000 tons. So six million. I think it was two million. No, no, it couldn't have been two million, two million pounds. Tons. It was a lot of poo. <laughs> By the way, Carl- that, that's where this conversation went. I know. <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns, by the way, this is his first three games. He's the MVP. 32 points. And OK, I'm going to I'm going to put the stat line out there. And I've watched probably 80 percent of the first three games. So I've watched enough to just get the eye test involved, too. Do you think this is sustainable, at least to some level? Because I think yes. I actually think it's yes. I think they're playing at such a pace. Uh, none of these numbers are super out of whack. He's obviously, so he's, he's averaging 32 points, 13 rebounds, five assists, a couple of blocks, a few steals. Uh, he is shooting 52% from three point range. That probably comes down to like 40%, but it's, you know, it's not coming down to 20. He's going to shoot like 40% from downtown. Oh, yeah. He's shooting uh, 52% from the floor overall. That's not that's not unheard of. That's probably about what he's going to be at the end of the season. So it's if it's really just a matter of this guy's amazing, get him more shots than Tom Thibodeau was getting him and just run the offense through him, which, by the way, doesn't take a rocket scientist. And I don't mean that as disrespect to Gerson Rosas or Ryan Saunders, but literally, like, Jonathan could have been hired as coach. And he said, "Listen, Jonathan, you're a soccer guy, but what's your first, what's your first operation item here?" And you're like, "I don't know. Get the ball to Carl Anthony. To get the ball to that seven foot guy who can make three pointers over everyone's head. Who can score head. from anywhere yeah. on the floor, <laughs> right. literally anywhere on the floor." Right. So, so I don't think that's unsustainable. Here's my question to you: When we come back, all right, Andrew Wiggins last night, and Andrew Wiggins with the light bulb sort of flickering here. To what degree is that sustainable? To what degree are you buying into last night's performance? by Andrew Wiggins. And if you want to chime in with thoughts, 651-646-8255, or hit us up, just tweet at us. We're constantly checking our Twitter feeds. At Score North, S-K-O-R North, at Phil Mackey, at Rami is tweeting, and even though he's not here today, at Jay Zolgad. We'll come back, and also Tom Pelissero's NFL Insights in about 20 minutes from now. Jonathan here with the Score North download. If you just missed it, we had Gerson Rosas on here with Mackey and Judd with Rami. Earlier today on... Uh, Score North Live, Jim Pete joined the boys and discussed the relationship of Andrew Wiggins and Pablo Frigioni. Here he is talking about that. One thing I've seen being around the team is that he and Pablo Frigioni have really sort of um, developed a really great relationship. I think that 
maybe that's something that we need to ask Andrew about and maybe even talk to Pablo about it. But I, and that, that's no small thing when you bring in somebody like a Pablo Prigioni who, you know, was such an accomplished international player. And then, you know, he, he came into the NBA a little later in his career and was able to carve out a bit of a, you know, a bit of a name for himself. But then to be brought in, um, you know, he learned the Brooklyn culture and everything that Sean Marks was doing um, with Kenny Atkinson in Brooklyn. And, and so then now you see Pablo bringing his own brand, his own sensibilities to connecting with players. And I think that he's really connected with Andrew. So I, I just, I guess I'm not surprised by it. If you want more of that interview, check out Score North Live anywhere you find your podcast, scorenorth.com and the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Mackie and Judith Rami. Thank you, Jonathan. No Judd today, but we got a depressed Bears fan, Rami, in the house. We've been hitting him over the head with some Bears vent line today, and it's Thanks, been hilarious. Guys. Appreciate it. Anytime. That's Ger- what I needed. Gerson Rosas was just on the show. If you missed that, you can go find it uh, via our podcast, which, by the way, we've had uh, we've had a lot of people give positive reviews to our podcast, and it really helps when you, if, if you like it, uh, especially if you're uh, an Apple or Spotify listener, and you can go leave a review and a comment. Give us a five-star review. And uh, tell us your favorite and least favorite thing about the show there. And also on our official Mackie and Jeb with Rami survey, which you can find by going to scorenorth.com and just type in the keyword MJR and you can fill out a brief survey that includes your favorite part about the show, your least favorite part about the show, and uh, other things that can help us connect advertisers to you and cater the show in uh, ways that just make it better. So please do that. Andrew Wiggins, four daggers last night. Well, he had that stretch where he hit a bunch of threes and he... He basically just iced the game last night at Target Center, and teammates mobbed him. And a couple things about it. Number one, I love the fact that the team is playing with such joy and exuberance, and they're celebrating the success of Andrew Wiggins. And it just looked like even when they were winning a bunch of games and they had a 50-win team that wound up having a couple injuries, but that playoff team with Jimmy Butler... That was the best team in 15 years of Wolves basketball, and if you just watched the games, you'd think it was the most miserable everyone has ever been. Yeah, they just weren't happy. You could tell. A joyless they team. They weren't enjoying themselves. And, like, basketball, you can kind of tell, like, LeBron James at different times in his career, when the weight gets too heavy, there's just yeah. there's a weight and a gravity that it's so ridiculous because it's, it's, it's all entertainment and it's a sport, but these guys feel pressure. Sure. And the Wolves under Tom Thibodeau were just a soulless, joyless bunch and that's a big part of the reason He'll why do that fans didn't buy into it. <laughs> yeah. He will do that to you. And how long can you sustain, even if you're winning, how long can you really sustain it if everyone hates what they're doing and no one's celebrating their success? Right. So I love, even if they don't take this 3-0 and start to a playoff trip, I love the fact that they're having fun doing it because I think that's more important than Tom Thibodeau gave uh, credence to. Anyways. And I think that's what Kat and, and Ryan Saunders are talking about when they say you can roll your eyes all you want when we talk about team chemistry and, and going to the Bahamas as a, as a team and everything that they did in the offseason. But inside the building, we know it's real. And I, I think that it absolutely, I mean, I don't even think that it's real. I know it's real. I don't, how many surveys, how many studies have been done to show that people are more productive when they're happy in the workplace and enjoy the people they work with? Yeah. I mean, when you break it down to its most simplest form, that's their workplace. We are all more productive and better at what we do when we like where we work and who we work with and who we work for. That's just that's just human nature. And I think that you're right. A, a change like from Tom Thibodeau to Ryan Saunders and the overriding way of doing things now with the Timberwolves, I think has lifted a weight off of some of these guys who 
weren't enjoying what they should what they were doing as much as they should be. Yeah. So the second part off the Wiggins thing is how sustainable is it? Let's just take last night's performance, all right? Where he started kind of slow from from the shot department, but he goes down in the fourth quarter and he and and, and and old Andrew Wiggins would look to to dominate in the fourth quarter too. Like it's not a new thing that he said, "All right, I'm going to take the ball it's Wiggy and I'm going to shoot." Yeah, right. yeah. That's right. We're going to get Wiggy with it right now. <laughs> But the old Andrew Wiggins would pull up from 18 feet, from 21 feet, and take contested jump shots and mostly clank them, right? Well, new Andrew Wiggins is, is, is getting to the rim first and foremost, and then he's pulling up mostly. He's, there's still like 9 or 10% of his shots so far this year that have come from that long two range. And by the way, he hasn't made any of them. So if that's more evidence for him, just dude, just cut that shot out of your repertoire. You've never been good at it. You're not good at it this year, and now you're getting benched for taking those shots, right. so just just stop altogether. But how sustainable is this version of Andrew Wiggins? I think it's fairly sustainable if he's rebounding the way that he is. He's averaging like six rebounds, and I test, he's going in hard for offensive rebounds, he's mixing it up in the paint, trying to throw his body around, and he's drastically reduced the number of inefficient shots that he takes. So I think part of it's a math equation, part of it's an effort equation, and he's getting better at both of those things. So I think, if, I mean, it's really like those two elements. Stop taking dumb shots and go get rebounds. Yeah. And you'll just be a better player. I don't know that you can pull the answer of how sustainable is this from what you just said. Because those things obviously work. What's going to make it sustainable is, does Andrew Wiggins buy in long enough for this to become habit and routine? Because what I was just talking about with Garrison Rosas, I was watching the opening game of the season. And he did things in that game that made me want to jump off my couch and yell, Wiggy, what are you doing? Like uh, like we were doing last season yeah. and like you guys have been doing throughout his career. And I stopped myself. I glued my butt to the couch, not literally, but figuratively speaking, and just said, hey, man, there are going to be growing pains. Clean slate with Wiggins. Just let him, let him do his thing. There's going to be mistakes. Let him do his thing. And then last night, the quotes that I referenced when we were talking with Rosas a minute ago, he said, I made a lot of dumb decisions. I told him, talking about Ryan Saunders, and we told each other, let's keep me accountable. If I do something wrong, make me pay for it. He did that, and I feel like that woke me up too. I've got to be better. That's a guy who's trying to buy in to this new way of doing things, which at this point is all you can ask of him. But through the learning process and until it becomes routine, for anybody who has bad habits to break, I compared it earlier today to me being 320 at one point and now down to 200. For The process of making something routine is the hardest part. And then at some point, it just becomes something you don't even think about. Eating right and exercising, eating right most of the time, and exercising until I want to die are things I don't even think about anymore. They're just part of my daily routine now. Wait, so, like, what are, uh, so you still sprinkle in some long twos in your life, right? What are... <laughs> What are some of the long twos that you still I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what the long twos were this weekend. First of all, I got a waffle maker for my birthday. Oh, and lunch that's so worth the twenty foot jumper. Though, lunch, lunch, and dinner Saturday and Sunday included wow. waffles. Well, you, when you say included I'm, waffles, yeah, yes. are you using the waffles as well, sandwich bread? Okay, so s- Saturday morning it was just waffles with syrup. My first experience with my new waffle maker. I just want it to be the classic yeah. experience, right? Just to pull up from twenty feet. Um, then for dinner. I threw a uh, pork shoulder in the slow roaster all day and made uh, pulled pork, barbecue pulled pork in my slow cooker, and made cornbread waffles. Wow. Yes. Topped with pulled pork and coleslaw and homemade barbecue sauce. 
and it was amazing. Hey, do you work out four hours a day? Are you Michael Phelps? <laughs> Are you Michael Phelps? He has to be with the way he talks about how he eats. It's actually astonishing that you're not 300 pounds. It's amazing. I'm really confused. There needs to be a sports science episode on Rami's life. <laughs> Here's a man, nine thousand calories. Did you put him metabolism on steroids to be able to just digest all? This? I also, uh, well. Here's the thing. I walked two hours with my dog on Saturday, and on the way back... Oh, did you guys go to Hastings, like we said? <laughs> no, I just went uh, around uh, Lake of the Isles, right by my house okay. there. And uh, But on the way back, there's a great bakery on the way back from the lake, and you can, like, the cinnamon rolls are wafting for miles from this place, dude. So, Dude, is this how is this how Wiggins goes into a game? He's like, oh, my God. But they're leaving it wide open from 19 feet. I can feet. just smell the 19 foot. These are my 20 oh, footers. These are my 20 I mean, footers. Look at all the space between the paint and the three point line in which they're just so, asking me to take this jump shot right now. I got now. two uh, cinnamon twists, which are like cinnamon rolls, but it's just like one twist. It's not like a giant and a, and a big caramel brownie. So that was my 20 footer this weekend. Okay, all, we need, all that we need another episode of Rami's <laughs> recipes here soon. We need another episode. <laughs> but that's the hardest part of it, is when you're trying to make it routine, and Wiggins is going through that right now. At some point, he's either going to break and say, to hell with it, I'm going back to old Wiggy, or like Rami would have said, I'm going to go back to fat Rami, or he buys in and it becomes routine. At some point, it needs to become routine, and then it's sustainable. Yeah. And uh, three games is not enough to know. But the things that he's doing, the things that he's doing... And I'm I'm sort of like as a guy who went on the record two months ago and said, "By Andrew, I've no one has been as hard on Andrew Wiggins as I have in this town for the last four years. I have crucified him for four years, and I just think the fixes, the fixes to become a serviceable player, are not that hard. One of them's effort, and I, and the other one is efficiency. But when I read that same quote that you did, which is Andrew Wiggins saying, "Hey, I told coach." Because he got benched at the end of the second quarter because he was yeah. playing lackadaisically. And he said, I'm fine with that. I want the coach to hold me accountable. And, of course, if I if I would nitpick that, I would say, well, the great players don't need to look to coach to but motivate it's a, them. But it's they a wake up process. in the morning and they're fired up to just be the best that they can He's be. He's not that dude. That, and, and that's and that's what we're coming to terms with. That's here. At, least, at least me. That's a, and you can change the wiring. That's what I'm. That's basically what I'm talking about here is changing the wiring. He didn't come into the league wired as that dude who wakes up thinking... I need to be great today. I need to work today to be great every day, waking up with that mentality. That's that's the process we're going through right now of him learning that, that being ingrained in him, changing the wiring, and it just becomes routine of being that guy who wakes up, puts in that work, and plays within this system. That's what you're looking for right now. Yeah. I don't I don't know that we're there yet, but it's promising that he's by he's trying to buy in and trying to make it habit. Yeah. Also, the the other nitpick I've seen people. Well, I mean, Brooklyn was without was without Kevin Durant and Miami was without Jimmy Butler. You guys, just 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 take the wins. <laughs> just, just take the wins. Yes. It's the Timberwolves. They've been to the playoffs one time in fifteen damn years, and uh, they just hit the reset button. Just take the wins where you can get them. I know that. That Charlotte was missing a couple players the other night too, but um, this has been a really, really impressive start to the season, and we'll see if they can sustain it. Honestly, this is this is not shocking from Carl Anthony Towns. He's one of the ten best players in the NBA waiting to be unleashed. Maybe twelve, top top. Some people might debate twelve or fifteen. I think it could after be. this year, it'll be consensus top ten player, maybe top five offensive player, if not higher than that. There, 
He has top three offensive potential. There's not a lot of guys who are seven feet tall that can shoot ten threes a game and have it be, you know, dude. It's not a, a good strategy. I'm not necessarily talking about this here, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that he's a top five player and MVP candidate within a year or two no. from now. Well, let's play the string out, okay? Golden State is going to be without Clay Thompson. They lost Kevin Durant. Their defense is atrocious. Golden State's going to scrap to make the playoffs. I mean, that's that's a reality. It's not. Mm-hmm. They're not just going to. They're not just going to add two Hall and of Famers back to the mix. If that thing keeps falling apart, they might just want to trade D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. Just going to throw that out too. Mm-hmm. Huh? Is that reckless speculation or what? no? I don't think it's reckless at all. Okay, I think it's realistic. All right, realistic speculation. But it's a whole other brand. Let's say a team that you thought was going to be in the playoff mix falls out and you're performing better than expected and you're sort of a flirtatious 500 team and Carl Anthony Towns is putting up 30 points and 12 or 13 rebounds and four or five assists and it's efficient and you're winning. It's all the things that Kevin Love was putting up for the most part, but you're actually winning. Right. <laughs> you know, um, that puts him in the MVP mix. I agree. It does. Somebody, the Wolves actually tweeted this out earlier. It was like a screen grab of a bunch of things that people are saying about Carl Anthony Towns and the Wolves right now. I'm not. Oh, there it is. Uh, Justin Barrier from the Ringers said Towns is playing like Giannis with a three-pointer, which is basically what's happening. He doesn't have the handles of Giannis and the ability to drive from the three-point line to the rack yeah. like Giannis does, but other than that, that's basically what we're looking at right now. Yeah. And that guy was the MVP last year. Yeah, It's fun. Just saying. It's fun. Um, Mackie and Jeff with Rami on Score North and the Score North app. Tom Pelissero's NFL Insights. When we come back, we'll get his thoughts on uh, the state of the NFC North after Rami's Bears took another nosedive yesterday and other things around the league. I'm throwing big weights. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. I'll tell you something, Nagy. If you don't, if you don't loosen up, and if you don't start playing big time football, I hope the fans in this town run you out. To me, I'm done with you. You're a head he coach. should fire himself. You are he not should a fire himself. Yeah. yeah, he should fire himself. Ob, be a man. Fire yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network, Tom Pelissero's NFL Insights. Uh... Hold on, hold on, Phil. Yo. What, what was what was that? <laughs> well, we call it Chicago Bears Vent Line on the Mackie and Jeff with Robbie show. Uh, was that from? Was that from the score? That, that was, was uh, WGN twenty WGN. Okay, yeah. it's from a WGN. I assume that was show. parody. That no, no. Real, that's a real show. That's the real opinion. Those there. are those are former Bears, Ed Obradovich and Dan Hampton losing their absolute minds yeah. on the post game show yesterday. <laughs> here, here, here's more. What? And we have a coach by the name of Nagy who does not understand the game at this level. <laughs> How is it possible that you could be on a six yard line? Goal to goal, and not one time, not one time do you throw to somebody or try to score a touchdown to somebody in the end zone. 
How is that possible? You come back again, what, on a four-yard line? And you don't even attempt to get into the end zone? you got to be kidding me. This guy's an imbecile. Other than that, Tom, things are going great in Chicago right now. I'm, I'm pretty sure Nagy was the NFL coach of the year. They went 12-4 and four last year. But... Uh... All I can say is, if you're a, if you're an NFL fan, you just uh, you hope you're not <laughs> tuning into the Mackie and Judd show and hearing something similar about the Vikings, right? <laughs> yeah. So, are you? I mean, the NFC is so ridiculously good. Or just, there's just there's there's seven or eight teams. It looks like uh, that are vying for the six spots. Um, is this too deep of a hole now for the? If you're a Vikings fan, can you? Is this a two team race in the NFC North? Well, I mean, the NFC North, obviously, I mean, they're, what, three and a half games back already. That's a, that's a pretty big type of hill to climb. Now, in terms of the, you know, the wild card picture, I, I certainly wouldn't say anybody's, you know, particularly buried this side of Washington going into week nine here. But, I mean, there's no question that the Bears have not, you know, their defense has still been really good. I don't think they've been great. They've not been scoring the defensive touchdowns, creating the, you know, those explosive types of defensive plays, game-changing plays they did a year ago, but they're, they're certainly still really good. The offense is the part that's um, pretty tough to figure out, honestly. I mean, they still got weapons. Now, they, you know, they had some guys who were nicked up for a while. I know Taylor Gabriel missed a little bit of time. They're gradually integrating David Montgomery in the backfield. Uh, Mitch Trubisky has not played particularly well to this point. Obviously, he missed some time with injuries, too. Nagy's, Nagy didn't become dumb overnight. All right, put it that way. He was well-respected when he was in Kansas City. Uh, he got that job for a reason. Everybody was hailing him last year for the work that he was doing with Trubisky. I, I, I got to think that, you know, even if you do, you believe that 12-4 and four may have been a little better than the Bears actually were a year ago, they're not now an awful team. They've still got a defense that's going to make things tough on people. They're just really struggling right now to score points. And, you know, then when you're also missing 40-odd-yard field goals, the same thing they got them knocked out of the playoffs back in the wild card round. I mean, unless Nagy can kick a field goal, I, I think it's, uh, you know, a little bit harder just to lay this solely at his feet and say that you got to make a coaching change. Uh, that's, that's a wild opinion, but that's why it's uh, Chicago Talk Radio. The thing that a lot of people are are on Nagy for today is kneeling at the end of the game for a I believe it was a, ended up being a forty one yard field goal rather than running a player to to try and shorten the field for his field goal kicker and then his reaction to it defiant to reporters afterwards for even asking the question what did you make of all that is that just a coach feeling feeling the pressure and the way that he reacted to the questions about that. No, because I think that Matt's got a very specific way that he deals with the media. I think that he really believes that. I mean, he makes a good point, and not even so much about the, the potential of a fumble, but, you know, a holding call, a false start, something that backs you up. Potentially, you know, if, if you run two plays and you have one on the second play, then it could be a 10-second runoff. There's all sorts of you know permutations. You're, you're in the NFL. Even on a windy day, you're in the NFL. You hope a kicker can make a 41-yard field goal. Having said that, there's certainly an argument to be made that, you take your chances, right? That you take your chances with something going wrong on one of the offensive snaps rather than something going wrong with the kick, especially in that, uh, that type of environment. That's, you know, that's why coaches have to, to make those decisions. At least you know that Nagy is convicted enough on it. He's not making these decisions willy nilly. He truly believes that he did the right thing and, 
you know, there may well be a situation over the next eight, nine games here where he's faced with something similar, and we'll see if he handles it the same way. Tom Pelosero's NFL Insights here on Mackie and Judd with Rami Judd out today. He'll be back in tomorrow. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur have combined for 215 total points offensively through the first eight games. Packers are 7-1, and one, and this is, this is exactly what they wanted when they brought in and they made the coaching change last year, brought in Matt LaFleur. What do you know about that relationship? It seems like, and there's there's been a lot of the clips that have been shown from last week where LaFleur and Rodgers are going back and forth saying, I want five, no, you, I want six touchdown passes. It looks like they have a pretty good chemistry. What do you know about it? Well, I mean, the personal chemistry is one thing. It's also, you know, for everything that we talked about and wrote about the entire summer about how is Aaron going to fit into, you know, this scheme and stuff, Matt LaFleur is a very intelligent guy, very cerebral understands offense, he was going to be able to have those conversations with Aaron Rodgers about, you know, the best direction to go. So does Rodgers, you know, outside of two-minute drill type of situations, have the freedom at the line of scrimmage that he had in the past? I'm sure not, if you actually asked him just about it. But, um, you know, he has enough freedom in those situations to make things happen. And you go back to last night's game, too. Rodgers making that pass to Jamal Williams, the one that everybody's talking about, where he throws it across his body. Al Michaels and everyone else is convinced that he's throwing the ball away, and somehow it, you know, it comes down to completion. You see the replays where Rodgers and Lafleur and all the players are watching it on the sideline. I think it's unreal. We did not see Rodgers make as many of those throws in recent years, and that's not coaching. That's not about how well Rodgers and Lafleur are getting along. Part of it is just the guy's healthy. I don't think enough's been made of that. You go back over the past couple of years whether it was the collarbone, whether it was the knee that he hurt in week one last year and was never really healthy through the entire season, those things take a toll. The, the only thing that stopped Aaron Rodgers from winning, you know, one, two, three, four more MVPs and a bunch more playoff games and maybe more Super Bowls has been health. It wasn't Mike McCarthy. Uh, it, you can make an argument it was the defense to a certain degree because the defense was so bad, and you look at what they're doing now on that side of the ball – with big men up front, Darius Smith and Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary, they've upgraded the back end. I mean, they've invested resources there. It's not it's not solely about the offense, but health is a huge part of that. Because if you watched Aaron Rodgers, certainly last season, uh, and even when he came back the previous year, it was not the same guy that we've seen. So right now you're seeing him gather a little momentum here. He's playing better and better. He's obviously feeling really good, and he's showing that – even at, what is he now, 35, 36 years old, he can still make some special, special plays that not many guys can make. I'm convinced Rodgers was throwing that away and it happened to fall in Jamal Williams' hands. Is that what you think, Tom? That's I'm convinced that's what happened. I mean, it kind of looks like it, but you believe anything, right? Rodgers isn't going to tell you, yeah, I was trying to throw that into the fourth row and it happened to land <laughs> get on the back of the end zone. I mean, he's, you know, he, he keeps that ball in the field to play. The reason I believe that he was not throwing it away is because you would think in that spot you would not take any chances with having the ball land inbounds. You don't see Rodgers make that mistake. Young quarterbacks, you'll see it sometimes where they're trying to throw it away. They don't get it all the way out. You don't normally see that from Rodgers. I think it's just it's a heck of a throw, and then Jamal Williams doesn't even have to make that great of a catch because the guy actually is open in the back of the end zone. The ball is said to be thrown to the exact point. Rodgers stuck it. Talking with Tom Pelissero of NFL Network, as we do every Monday here on Mackey and Judd with Rami. We've already seen quite a bit of activity before tomorrow's trade deadline, Tom. Have have all the big moves been made, or do you think there are still a few more in store? How active a trade deadline do you think we're looking at? No, there absolutely could be more activity here over the next, what do we got left here, about 22 hours. Uh, Trent Williams is one name that's popped up today. 
because the Redskins, after for months telling people we're not trading them, we're not trading them, they were calling around to teams today uh, about Trent, namely saying that we've got a two on the table, implying that you know it would take a first rounder to get it done. Also making uh, Josh Norman available in a trade. Norman's hard to trade because he's due over six million dollars for the rest of the season. He's been banged up. He's got a goofed up quad. I think he's got a hand injury too. Really wasn't even supposed to be playing against the Vikings on Thursday night, but. Uh, Quentin Dunbar got hurt, and they had to stick Norman into the game. Those are two pretty high-profile players, one in Williams who could command a lot, one in Norman who, if he does get moved, is probably not going to command very much because of the circumstances. Uh, Robbie Anderson from the Jets is another interesting one uh, to keep in mind. A speed receiver, really talented. He's only making $3 million total this season. It's not a huge cash commitment. I know that there are teams that have been uh, having those discussions. And then beyond that, I mean, there's a bunch of possibilities. I mean, I'm looking at my spreadsheet right now. There's another 30 or so names that, you know, have been kicked around, or people have been calling about, or they've been made available. It's just, it's always hard to match these things up. We've almost gotten spoiled here of late because there have been so many uh, wild trades in the NFL through the course of this offseason, going back to Odell Beckham, going back to Antonio Brown, right through, um, you know, the, the trades that the Texans were making at the deadline, which you dev- or excuse me, at the uh, cutdown deadline, which is Evian Clowney and Laramie Tunsil to the Jalen Ramsey trade. These, these deals didn't happen in the past. It's, it's kind of an NBA philosophy toward the NFL. You saw a couple more deals lower level today, but, um, you know, certainly Leonard Williams getting done to the Giants, Kenyon Drake getting traded to the Cardinals because they need somebody to play running back for them uh, on Thursday night here. You know, don't be surprised if there are a few more trades, but it's always hard to line up the salary, the cap space, because a lot of the contenders, the Patriots, the Saints, teams that are, are in the market to be buyers, they, they just don't have a lot of space. So you have to do some things cap-wise to make those numbers work. And then also, you know, what's the compensation, especially on guys who have expiring types of contracts. We saw some of them get dealt last year at the deadline. Golden Tate went on the final day. Uh, Dante Fowler went on the, t- the final day. Those guys are getting moved for, like, third-round draft picks, uh, really good players. Um, but all those different things have to line up. There is certainly, though, an appetite out there. Um, there's plenty of buyers, put it that way. Are there motivated enough sellers for a lot of deals to get done? Well, we'll find out by tomorrow at 3 p.m. Central. Tom, how would you set the scene for the second half of the season here for the Vikings? 6-2, and two. Uh, they've got three or four really tough, at least on paper, road games. Plus, you've got those back-to-back division games to end your season, Packers and, and Bears. And you're in a win-now Super Bowl window with a highly paid quarterback. Mike Zimmer's not getting any younger. Rick Spielman's been around for a while. It feels like there's a lot of chips on the table in the second half of the season here. How would you set it up? No, I think you just set it up very well, Phil. I think this is a, a season where, just based on how they're constructed, they got an expensive quarterback. They got dynamic offensive weapons, and they got a veteran defense with, you know, basically all the stars are either in or exiting their prime. This is a team that is absolutely built to win right now, which is part of the reason that you had the level of concern uh, after the two and two start and after the Chicago game. I mean, I, we've talked about it many times. The, the panic externally after that Bears game never matched what they felt internally. Now, surely there was a pressure point, and you had a bizarre situation involving one of your best players carrying over his frustration, which is not uncommon, and not showing up for practice, which is uncommon. But after that, righted the ship. You saw them, you know, beat some, uh, you know, quality teams. I mean, the Eagles are a quality team. You saw it again this past week, beating a, a Bills team that had won a whole bunch of games. Then to, you know, come back to win in Detroit, that's a tough team. We saw that yesterday uh, to win on the short week against Washington. They've done everything right 
since that point. Um, you know, but yeah, now you go on the road, Kansas City and at Dallas. If you've been told before the season, Patrick Mahomes probably not playing in that Chiefs game. You're certainly happy about that point. If you can cruise into the bye, because they got a late bye, which is also beneficial right now. They're a pretty healthy team. You go into that bye, even eight and three, you're you're feeling pretty good about yourself. I mean, that, that final stretch is not going to be easy. At Seattle, really good team, especially in their building. The Lions at home, they're always going to play tough. At Los Angeles, that's basically a home game from everybody, but the Chargers are, are a pretty talented team. And then, yeah, the back-to-back games at the end against the Packers and Bears. Put it this way. All five of those teams that you're facing after the bye are going to be in contention. None of those teams are going to be buried. You know, the Chargers are kind of on the brink here. They needed that missed field goal yesterday to save them from it. But I would expect all those teams are going to have a lot to play for. And so what you can have happen is what happened in, um, you know, I think the Seattle game last year in December and also in Week 17 against the Bears. You can't come out flat. You can't play the way that you did against Chicago. Really, you can't even play the way you did against Washington on Thursday night because that was another kind of a flat performance. Maybe if Diggs doesn't fumble um, in the early stages of that game, maybe everything's different and they're blowing the Redskins out. But that game was too close for comfort for a lot of time. they got to be tuned up. And, you know, if they can stay healthy, that's a big deal. Because it's a really, really talented football team that Rick Spielman and company have put together. You know, is Kirk Cousins statistically going to, you know, be at the level that he's at right now for the whole season? Probably not. He's on one of the best stretches of his career. But, I think he playing good football. The talent is there all around him for this Vikings team to be, you know, really, really dangerous if they can stay healthy heading into January. Football. That is Tom Pelissero, NFL Network. What's your schedule? Where can people find you on NFL Network this week, Tom? All day tomorrow, leading up to the trade deadline, the extended version of NFL Now. That's uh, going to be a lot of fun. And then beyond that, uh, we probably. Really quickly flip the page to full focus on uh, coaching searches and everything else. Yeah. So I will be on TV from the home cam all week on NFL Network. Awesome, man. All right, Tom. See you next week. Thanks, fellas. Tom Thanks, Tom Pelissero. Real quick, a uh, little little breaking twins news here. Mm-hmm. Did you see what I saw? Derek Shelton? Oh, no. No, what did no. you see? I saw that the Dodgers are trying to acquire Francisco Lindor from the Indians. Really? That's what I just read. Really? Yes. Why don't the Twins try to acquire Francisco Lindor from the Indians? I don't think they're going to trade Francisco Lindor within the division. Because <laughs> that's going to be good. Price might be a little for too a high. Really, really long time. Uh, pick up the phone. Uh, Derek Shelton <laughs> is going to get a third round interview this time with ownership with the Mets. So he's clearly a finalist, if not the finalist. Looks like they're they're bringing in more than just him, but. Derek Shelton. So James, James Rowson already left, not for a manager job, but to go become an offensive coordinator. I heard they were also interviewing. Yeah, since when does baseball have offensive coordinators? I mean, it's 2019. That's weird. Get he's a hitting coach. He's a hitting coach. No, he's an offensive coordinator. No, Phil, he's a hitting coach. No, he's scheming. But I heard that the uh, Mets were also interviewing the uh, ESPN analyst. What's his name? Alex Rodriguez. No. Um, although they're... <laughs> I just, <laughs> they're blowing up the Sunday night booth and keeping Alex Rodriguez. Did you see that report? Uh, no. They're blowing up the Sunday night booth, but keeping the one guy who's terrible in it. He's not terrible. He's awful. He's entertaining. He's really he's bad. Entertaining in, he's really bad in the booth. But people tune in because he's Alex Rodriguez. Yeah, he's okay in studio. He's terrible in the so booth. So you, you're telling me you'd rather have like... I'm trying to think Anyone. of some some no name guy. You'd rather have like Tim Salmon because yes. he knows what he's talking about. Yes. Hey, Tim Salmon. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm named yeah. after a fish. <laughs> I was going to say with that name. 
Just Hell like yeah. just like all the prominent Angels players, <laughs> Mike Trout. That's how we roll, dude. He's ba- Bob he's, Sunfish. He's really bad. Great pitcher from the seventies. <laughs> Was that a really guy? Real guy? Yeah, go look him up. Bob, Bob Sunfish. Sunfish? Yeah. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, A Rod is terrible. He's really bad. Well, who's the one that? So there. So Vasgersian's out. Vasgersian and Mendoza's Mendoza. Out. Apparently, I saw a report to that effect. Are they fired? Or are they just being shelved? Because it's not like. You know, like it, it, with the NFL analysts, they, they might just, just be, shuffle yeah, people. Yeah, they might just be moving them to a different night of the week. Because baseball yeah. tonight is not a show anymore. Right. Um, but, yeah, apparently they're getting rid of everybody but A-Rod in huh. that booth. This is what happens when you're the Twins, when you have a great season like that, and you set the Major League home run record. Uh, teams want to know, what are you doing there? How do how can we do some of that? And the Marlins... Will you come coordinate our offense? Right. The Marlins had, like, 10 home runs all year in a, in a year in which four teams broke the previous team home run record. But I've heard behind the scenes, Derek Shelton is easily their most valuable assistant coach on that staff, and that would be a big loss. I think, you know, you might think in baseball, you know, you lose a coach, whatever, you know, Nelson Cruz is still going to hit bombs, but they put together a really good coaching staff, and I wouldn't, if, if they do lose Derek Shelton, good for him if he can get a manager job, but don't sleep on losing two really good assistant coaches that helped you craft what you've been able to build so far this year. No, I agree. And but that's that's always the cost of success that people want guys from your staff, both your front office and your coaching staff. Yeah, and they want to know uh, what are the ingredients. But that's also how you hire a guy like Adam Gaze. Adam Gaze, the only reason Adam Gaze ever popped up in the first place a few years ago to become a head coaching candidate is because he was the quarterbacks coach that sat with Peyton Manning in meetings once in a while. The year that Peyton Manning broke the all time touchdown record, it's like I'd rather have the quarterbacks coach that took like a crappy sixth-round quarterback to become a relevant starter than the guy who was just in meeting rooms with Peyton Manning. I don't know if this is a hot take or not. Plenty of guys fall under this category. I think Adam Gase, really smart, offensive mind, good quarterbacks coach, maybe even a good offensive coordinator, just doesn't translate to being a head coach. Yeah. Just doesn't. Lots of guys, that's their ceiling. Assistant coach of some kind is just their ceiling, and they're not built to lead a group of 53 men. Yeah, the leadership aspect is probably even more important than the X's and O's because you can just hire great coordinators to be X's and O's guys you know for you. You know who's brilliant? Mark Trestman. Like, ask anybody who's ever crossed paths with Mark Trestman, and they'll tell you that dude is a brilliant football mind in terms of drawing up offenses, scripting plays, and he just had a locker room full of guys who did not respect him. Yeah. Flat out didn't respect him as a man. Yeah. And, and uh, it's hard to lead when they don't respect you as a man. And it's a league with a lot of alphas, too. So if you're more of a beta personality, you're probably not going to work. Right. Mark Tressman, legend in the CFL, though, right? Like yeah. Multiple Grey Cups. Yeah. So I think he just got a job this year as an offensive coordinator somewhere in the league. Good. Yeah. He's a, I believe he's a Minnesotan, too, or he at least spent some time living in Minnesota. Mackie and Judd with Rami on Score North and the Score North app. You can uh, chime in and get in on this discussion, 651-646-8255, that we're about to have about the number 13 in the AP poll, Golden Gophers. Can and should college game day come here? And I want to take you just through, as a guy who, born and raised in Minnesota, went to the University of Minnesota, I want to put into context what this game against Penn State means to someone like me. And maybe you can relate with Are you some gonna of cry? your past experiences. I'm going to try not to cry. Okay, It's real to me, damn it. <laughs> 
I said on TV, I said, I really hope College Game Day looks at our Twin City, our university, truly to bring game day here. We have 4 million people that live in the Twin City area. We are the only Division I school in the state of Minnesota. Everybody here is Gophers. We have never hosted College Game Day. All due respect to Alabama and LSU, I have no idea what's going on with them right now, but I can tell you this, you can go to them any year. Pick a year. Pick a game. You can go to them every game of the season if you would like. College Game Day is about unique stories, about unique places, about unique moments. That's what they say they're about. And I'm not going to say they're not if they don't come here, because I think that would be bad. And if I could tell ESPN, believe me, trust me, you come to the Twin City area, you come to the University of Minnesota for an undefeated Penn State team, an undefeated Minnesota Golden Gopher team in this Twin City area where they host the Super Bowl, The final four, next is game day, naturally. That's why I think they should come here. And I think our whole city would rally behind it. And if they thought they had large crowds before, wait till four million people show up. P.J. Fleck, man. Putting on the full court press after that win over Maryland. That was a sales job right there, man. And we should play this, too. Just diving into this Gopher conversation. And I want to take you through just a little tour as a Gopher fan. Try not to cry. I don't think I'm going to cry. Okay. It's not Toy Story 3. Okay. It's not that emotional. But we had, before the Gophers beat Maryland, and before P.J. Fleck spoke openly about game day, we've had Jason Fitz. Jason Fitz has been part of College Game Day and the, and the College Game Day pre-show. He's been a guest on our show every single Friday. And we were poking him on Friday saying, hey, you've got some pull back there, right? Is it feasible that ESPN could look to actually bring game day to the Twin Cities? Well, look, I mean, they're one of the biggest surprises right now, and, and I'm not just Saying this, you know, flippantly, I, you know, one of the great things that I have the opportunity to be a part of is College Game Day, and we do countdown to Game Day that you can check out wherever you get your uh, live stream of ESPN on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and the ESPN app, and uh, over a million people a week watching us at 8:30 a.m. Eastern every Saturday. And I, I'm not flippantly telling you this: the conversation of do we need to look at is there a shot that Minnesota should get Game Day has there been a real conversation because. Ultimately, it's it, game day. When you think about the, the best stories in college football right now, you've got the unexpected, undefeated Minnesota situation. And although it's a much different situation than led up to it, Baylor is the other big undefeated surprise right now. So you've got to look at these teams and say, okay, with some of the matchups that are coming down the pipe, it makes a lot of sense. Rather than sending game day to Columbus for the 472nd time, if we can find interesting places that, that showcase great Big Ten games, why wouldn't we? So. You know, Minnesota's done enough that the national landscape is paying attention. They should pay attention. This is a, a better football team than we thought. They're efficient. They don't make a lot of mistakes. This is a good Minnesota football team. And yet there's something amazingly gophers and fitting about the fact that you're going to roll in first week in November. How many times into November in college football do you get undefeated, undefeated, where both teams are at least 8-0? Doesn't happen every year across college football, right? Across the SEC, the Pac-12. By the time you get to November, there's not there's only like a handful of undefeated teams left, and so you're you're lucky to get any kind of undefeated matchup. You know, sometimes you get a couple undefeated teams in the college playoff or the national championship game, but a regular season undefeated matchup this late in, and both teams are ranked in the top fifteen. Penn State's fifth, and it's so Gophers and bad luck that LSU and Alabama are number one and number two in the country, also undefeated and playing each other the same day that you're playing. By the way, 11 a.m. game for, uh, for the, it'll be an ABC game, 11 a.m. for Gophers and, and Penn State. But, like, really? Game day really? has never been here? Ever? Never. No. 
Really? Game day's, Never had a reason to be here. Game Day's been to North Dakota State, I think, multiple times. Now they've been to South Dakota. They went to uh, Brookings, right? Yep. Brookings this last weekend. They've been to other random places. I think they've even, there's been a couple obscure. They're going Big to Memphis stops. next weekend or this weekend. Is that what's been announced? Yeah. SMU and Memphis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if that if number one, SF, number two game if wasn't SMU on the schedule. SMU and Memphis and South Dakota State can get college game day. Minnesota should be able to get college game day yeah. for a, a battle of two undefeateds. But Rami, here's well for a battle of two undefeateds, I, it's definitely still on the table. But they literally have to say no to the number one, number two teams in the country. If you're wondering, well, could one of those teams lose before then? They both get bye weeks this week too. LSU, Alabama do not play this weekend, so they're both going to go in number one and number two in the country next week. Um, and the Gophers are going to go in because Penn State gets a bye too. So you, you the, the the slate of games is scheduled, and they just have to choose. Do they go number one, number two, or do they go story that's never been told on game day, which is the Gopher football program and uh, and an undefeated matchup against Penn State? But here's the thing, because I think you know when you say those words, Rami, how is it possible that a Big Ten school has never had a college game day in the twenty plus years of the show? And it, by the way, it's like the Gophers have played in bowl games, they've you know they probably average going to a bowl game the last twenty years, once every other year, or so they come in clusters. But I'm thirty four years old. I've been a Gopher football fan since the early 90s. I remember the Jim Wacker era in the early 90s when I was a kid. Gopher football was garbage from when I was born and Lou Holtz left to go to Notre Dame. It was garbage from 1985-86 all the way up until Glenn Mason took over the program in the late 1990s. And so since they became relevant again in the late 1990s, I can honestly count on one hand and maybe an extra thumb. Needle-moving relevant wins. I'm not talking about like when Tim Brewster went and beat Illinois and they were ranked. I mean, that was a big win at the time. I mean, needle-moving, attention-getting wins that Wisconsin gets on an annual basis. I can basically count on one hand. 1999, the Gophers went into Happy Valley. They beat number 2 Penn State. Huge upset. Put Glenn Mason on the map as a as a big-time coach at the time. The next year, they went to Ohio State, which was ranked number 6 in the country, and they won that game on the road. 2003, they took the axe and beat Wisconsin, but that season was kind of buzz killed by losing to Michigan and the Michigan State back to back. But they came back, they, they beat Wisconsin for the axe. They beat Michigan at Michigan in 2005. They trounced Michigan in 2004. And then I'd throw last year's Wisconsin win on the, So literally in my life, in my life watching Gophers football for 34 years, conscious watching go probably conscious for like 28 years. Five, maybe six needle-moving wins, like actual attention-getting wins for the program. So it's not super shocking that when you don't have a huge resume for you know beating teams on a big stage that you wouldn't get a college game day. And they haven't done it this year yet either, but they've beat everyone on their schedule. And so I'm thinking two things going into this Penn State game. Number one, of course, like, of course, they're not going to get game day because of the number one, number two matchup, and it's just bad Gophers luck. But number sure. two, just win one of these games. Went like have this be your breakthrough game, and you can hear it in PJ's voice when he's going through and he's basically begging College Game Day to come to town. I think he sees this whether it's for the program or whether it's for his own personal advancement as a coach. This is a turning point for a program that has they've come to this fork in the road a number of times. They stood at this fork in the road in 2003 against Michigan at home, ESPN game, ranked teams, and they blew a three touchdown lead in the fourth quarter. They stood at this fork in the road, I would argue, at Wisconsin a few years ago when Mitch Leidner was the starting quarterback, and they had a two-touchdown lead going into the second half. 
with the division on the line, whoever wins the game goes and plays in the Big Ten championship game, and that's your gateway into just more attention and getting your program to another. They blow the lead in the second half. And so I don't think they have to run the table this year, but you beat Penn State in two weeks on national TV to probably move into the top, well, not probably, to, to for sure move into the top ten and maybe even knock on the door as a top five team. Now your program has arrived, and now you're on the map, and now you've got a huge window for national attention and recruits to come in. And so um, I'm really looking forward to it. I think there's a lot of people that are really looking forward to this. It's not a must-win game, but it's one of those turn-the-corner-as-a-program games and beat Penn State at home on November 9th. Okay, if game day comes, what are we doing in the background to get some attention for score north? We're for sure making signs. Okay. For sure. All right. In fact, we're going to probably have to have a flag that just sits next to the Washington State flag that everyone looks for. You got to think Fitzy could get us a nice spot, right? I think so. A prime spot? Yeah. For some good visibility? I know the RTB shirts are in uh, full style here, but we don't have the the rights to those because the Gophers will probably sue anyone who makes RTB what shirts. So get... I'm thinking RTMFB mm-hmm. shirts. Okay. RTMFB? Hit... Anybody? No. RTMFB? Row the... Oh, I get where he, you I didn't gotcha. get where he was All going right. there? I yeah. had no idea. Totally got where he was going. We put I'm some, in for some that. Of I'm not as on. indoctrinated in the row the boat <laughs> culture as Phil Mackey is. My bad. He's not ingrained you in You just me. got here. Okay. You just got here. I'm here for that. Shirt. And uh, I think Rami's streaking through the quad. I think that's good. I was thinking just... See if we can get the girls from the World Series last night. <laughs> Paint something on them. You and an M? <laughs> RTB? By the way, Jonathan, Rami and I were talking about the, the flashers that were sitting yeah. behind home plate last night. Uh huh. Yep. And I asked Rami, I'm like, "Oh, did you see the see the flashers last night?" And uh, and Rami, uh, of course, Rami did. Rami, what was what was your answer? I follow both of them on Instagram. <laughs> to which course. I said, "Oh, of course, everyone probably follows them now on Instagram." Yeah. I, w- I was already right. following them on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not surprised by this? I wasn't watching the game live, but I saw that story on Twitter, and uh, I was like, hey, I recognize those names (laughs) (laughs) of those gals. (laughs) So I uh, pulled up my Instagram account, and sure enough, hey, I appreciate the female body, all right? In all its many forms. And even though they're banned from Major League Baseball games... They're Those always welcome. They they're always welcome to come to uh, CHS Field. Maybe, maybe the Saints will bring them out. See, Mackie and Jeb with Robbie on the All News Score North and the Score North app. Let's talk to uh, Patrick Ricey. We'll wrap with Ricey when we come back here to the uh, to the TCL studios. All right, Luther Brookdale Toyota. Now, when they talk about flashers at you at Luther Brookdale Toyota, they're talking about something entirely different. <laughs> They're talking about something different on a car. The type of flashers yeah. from last night, they cause accidents. <laughs> they do. So uh, the weather's getting colder. What I've noticed is when the temperature drops to just slightly above freezing, which, yeah, buzzkill, you wake up this morning and it's like 34 degrees outside. And uh, my car, with all of its safety features, reminds me with a little beeping thing and like a message that comes up on the dashboard. You can tell I'm a car guy. And it says, hey. Be careful. Roads might be slippery here. The safety features on these brand new Toyotas, off the charts. It's almost like the car is driving itself in some ways, even though uh, you should definitely have two hands on the wheel. 
You combine the state-of-the-art features and the durability of Toyotas with the people and the experience you're going to get in that service department on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, and that's what my family and I have been preaching about for 30-plus years. Luther Brookdale Toyota. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll use this download to remind you about our podcast network that consists of more than a dozen shows from the Score North Twin Show and Raised by Wolves to the Scoop with Doogie and Royce Unchained. Also on there is Minnesota Sports Rewind, the 2009 Vikings edition. It's been 10 years since we went on a ride with Brett Favre and we're doing a deep dive into every aspect of that 2009 Vikings season. You can join Sage Rosenfels, Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, and Ryan Longwell on Minnesota Sports Rewind. The 2009 Vikings edition on demand right now anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Or you can just go to scorenorth.com and click on shows. That's Minnesota Sports Rewind. And that's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Mackie and Joe with Rami. I'll tell you something. Nagy, if you don't, if you don't loosen up and if you don't start playing big time. Football, I hope the fans in this town run you out. To me, I'm done with you. You're, he hey, should coach, fire himself. You are he should fire himself. <laughs> yeah, he should fire himself, OB. Be a man. Fire yourself. <laughs> so they're taking it well in Chicago, Patrick. Are those hosts or callers? Those are hosts. <laughs> those are former. Who the hell are they? Do those wanna, are. Uh, do you want to hear from the callers too? Former Bears oh. Ed Bradovich and uh, Dan Hampton. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. That uh, even Boris couldn't get that fired up could he? Uh, back in the day. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I I uh, heard Tommy Pelissero uh, uh, with you guys kind of uh, giving uh, him a little defense there, Nagy. Uh, about perhaps uh, there would have been a penalty or something. Well, I got an idea. Don't have one. <laughs> Tell your boys don't have one. Run it off tackle and maybe make four more yards when you got a kicker like this, for God's sake. Yeah. In Chicago, uh, and you know this better than I, Rami, they're never close enough when the wind's blowing, are they? No, never. But he, no. uh, he didn't want to lose two or three yards, Pat, so he kneeled and lost two yards. He's a uh, thin-skinned young fella, huh? Yeah, he uh, seems affected. Everything was fine last year, but uh, that this this Bears this latest Bears dynasty didn't last all that long, did it? The last one lasted. It did go on lasted a little longer than this one. The Lovey Smith one lasted a little longer than this one. Yeah, that's true. Lovey had about three straight good years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, wow. I think I think this is the amazing thing about the Bears, though. If you go back in their last forty years of their most successful run was the eighties. Outside of yeah. that, so if you take away that mid eighties stretch. They've never. You got to go back to 1943. The last time, other than the 80s, they went to the playoffs in at least three straight years. It's oh yeah, they've they, yeah they've been uh, you know since they won the championship with the great Billy Wade, whatever the hell that was. Then they had the uh, Ditka should have won more than one title with that collection if he wasn't such a moron. And uh, but beyond that, yeah, they've never been anything. Even even when Lovey made it to the Super Bowl, he made it with one of the most undynamic offenses since the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks went there with theirs. So. Yeah, it's nice being in a division that has both the Bears and the Lions in it. I think. So it's a two-team right. race now, right? With the, the Bears are done. No, the Lions I mean, all the time. It's a two-team race all the time. Basically. Yeah. The Lions are never in the race. They're never in the race. If they are, it's a miracle. 
And the Bears are, uh, you know, the Bears are the Bears. They can, they can figure out how to screw up a game with the best of them. Pat, did you see the Packers Chiefs last night? Did you watch that one? Yeah, I watched. I watched a good share of it. I didn't watch all of it. But, I've been asking uh, everybody who I've come in contact with today. Aaron Rodgers was throwing that thing away, right? The, you know the pass. I'm well, talking I'm about. a big Aaron Rodgers bobo, but uh, I don't. I, I think he was just throwing it and hoping that it ended up somewhere good. And uh, no, there's no. Yeah, there's no way he knew that there was a guy there or anything like that. It was just a. It was just a guy. I'll tell you one thing now. You got a strong arm when you can throw it that far underneath, you know, with a on a fling like that when you're uh, basically going to the ground, don't you? He's got the gun, man. There's still got the gun. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So Pat, this hey, week Kansas City though, could this be a better time for the Vikings? They lost three offensive linemen and half their defense is hurt, right? And they don't have Mahomes. He's not going to play again this week, apparently. Yeah, is that official now? That he's not going to play this week. Well, that was the somebody was reporting it that uh, they were going to hold him out another week. Uh, that I mean, I don't think it's official. They're probably going to try to uh, hold that over, uh, you know, over the Vikings' head there for a while. But I don't think he's going to play. Uh, do you? It doesn't sound like it. So I think they're and, probably going to stick to that because the whole word early on was three weeks is best case scenario, and yeah. I'm going to I'm going to guess they're going to stick to that. Yeah, you don't uh, you don't want to uh, take a chance with uh, you don't want this guy to turn into Robert Griffin, uh, do you? And uh, you know, go send him out there hurt and let him get a concussion that he no. doesn't recover from for a year or something. No. So, although I don't want to mention Pat Mahomes in the same sentence with Robert Griffin as far as talent is concerned, but uh, you got you got to be careful with this kid because uh, he's going to be uh, still playing quarterback for you yeah. 15 years from now if you play it right. Let me ask you this. So this weekend I was uh, I, I binged a few of those Peyton's Place episodes where Peyton Manning like one of them is Peyton Manning and Brett Favre riding around in Bart Starr's uh, Cadillac from 50 years ago just telling stories. And then there was another one where Peyton goes around starting with Sid Luckman all the way to new quarterbacks, and he goes through the history of quarterbacks. And I didn't know this. I wasn't alive during this period. But Tom Landry would rotate the great Roger Staubach with uh, with Morton. and Yes, Craig Morton. Craig yeah, Morton. Uh, Staubach was, just came out of the Navy, you know. Stabach, what you got to think about him is he missed. Uh, you didn't be able, you weren't able to pull the scam that they pull with the military academies now, uh, starting with David Robinson and uh, the uh, you know you he did his full. I think he did his full four. Yeah, he, he might have gotten to go to training camp or something once in a while on his leave, but uh, I think he did his full four. And then when it came in. Uh, Morton was there, and Morton was the starter, and Staubach could play, you know, and then Staubach could come in, and there was an obvious difference in talent, but Landry uh, was loyal to Morton. So, so when did when, when did the switch flip? Was it Joe Montana? Was it Dan Marino? When did the switch flip where quarterback went from for 50 or 60 years in the NFL with just being, it's, it's another position, it doesn't necessarily hold a ton of weight over other positions to this is the position and everything revolves around it when did that yeah, that's, switch a, that's a good question yeah because I, I mean before morton i think morton also alternated with meredith for a while i think it was morton and meredith and then morton and staubach and then uh i would well you know here i mean when tarkington came back uh there was nobody else you wanted on the field but uh where that? Where would you? I, I think go back and look at patter, passer efficiency ratings. Okay, 
back in the day, uh, yeah, we had a good game. Our quarterback only threw two interceptions and fumbled once. I mean, that was, uh, it was not like every interception was not the end of the earth. And if you threw, I think Fran had 20, 37 his last year, 35, 37 yeah. interceptions, something like that. And it was, uh, you know, it was, hey, an interception's as good as a punt, they said half the time. So, uh, there was not the paranoia. <laughs> and look at the, if you were in the 80s, for a passer efficiency lead, uh, rating, you were among the leaders in the league, and now it gets you benched, right? It yeah. You, if you're in the 80s, now you're a stiff. So uh, I, I think the, the requirements for greatness became much higher, and then your backup could not fill those requirements. Uh, if, you know, if you were going to your second best, if you were going to your Matt Moore, uh, and he, you know, all of a sudden, if he threw two interceptions, it was the end of the earth. So, so I just pulled I think, up a I random year here. Standards that they applied to how good the guy had to be. I don't know. Nineteen. I just pulled up a random year. Nineteen seventy-two. In uh, so last year in the NFL, there were twenty-nine quarterbacks who who at least attempted enough passes to qualify for these numbers. Twenty-nine quarterbacks with passer ratings over eighty. Our guy Case yes. Keenum was at the bottom of that list. He was number 29. So 29. In 1972, and there's some Hall of Famers on this list, four quarterbacks had passer ratings <laughs> over 80, including Fran wow. Tarkenton, who had a passer rating of 80.2. Wow. And you got to remember that Francis was uh, more than, uh, you know, he was a dink and dunk. We, you know, he was a dink and dunker, uh, too. Once in a while, he'd, if somebody was running wide open, he'd throw him a ball. But he was not a strong-armed guy. So, you know, he's getting 82, uh, throwing it around like Teddy Bridgewater does. You know, so that's, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of short stuff. Uh, a lot of people give Burnsy credit for kind of uh, starting that offense even before Bill Walsh did. So uh, it was, uh, yeah, it is. It's incredible, the standards that they, I've, I've said that, that the standards you apply to quarterbacks now are so much higher than they used to be. It's amazing. Pat, you said and last by, The other thing, you didn't play the guy for three years. Uh, you, no matter where you, the, the first, the guy who got drafted first overall had to wait to, had to wait to his third year to start because they weren't spending that much money on the guys anyway. Pat, you said last week that a uh, bad idea to practice the World Series trophy staging ceremony before Game Three of the World <laughs> yeah. Series. Yeah, well, and, uh, I bet here Houston we is not. I bet Houston is not dumb enough to be doing that today. Do you think? Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably no, I, not. I no. With Strasburg pitching against them, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't do that. But boy, did uh, did Houston look like a good baseball team this week? These three games. Wow. Once they uh, once their hitters loosened up, that was a good looking ball club, man. Wow. And uh, and, and you know when the kid goes out there and. Uh, Pitches uh, five scoreless innings and gets them. Gets them. That was that was the game right there. That's the game. Washington absolutely had to win, and uh, Corbin goes out there. Or no, uh, uh, yeah, Corbin. Right, he goes out there and pukes on himself and gives up two right off the bat. And uh, that 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 you got Corbin pitching against that kid. You got to win that game, and they yeah. didn't come close. And it's a. Uh, it doesn't look good, but I wouldn't bet against Strasburg. He can win that game. He's he's pitching way better than Verlander. Yep. Uh, quick plug before we say bye here, Pat. You guys just got done recording a live edition of Monday Night Sports Talk, which can be found on the Garage Logic feed and also starting this week on the Roycey Unchained feed. 
So Okay, and we were at Jack's today, Jack's Cafe, and, and a nice turnout, and uh, a lot of kibitzing, and I did express the opinion that the dumbest thing baseball has ever done is ban those two young ladies from the uh, ballpark for the future. They should have instead. The Nationals should have those two young ladies uh, throughout the first pitch next year, I would say. Yeah. Solid follows on Instagram, Pat. Solid follows yeah. on Instagram. If and, uh, you know, I mean, we're always trying to attract a younger audience, and I think that would attract a younger audience. Yeah, I think the Nationals could go with the Bomba slogan next year, too. <laughs> 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 right. Bomba! Guaranteed four today. Okay. <laughs> We'll see you tomorrow.